You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast. Today's episode, Faith and Identity. Let's get into this. You're listening to the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast with your host, Aaron Garth. Hey everyone, it's Aaron here and uh, have we got a really great topic for you today. We're talking with Dr. Julie Morsillo from Eastern College, Australia, who is the coordinator of the counselling programs about the idea of identity, young people and faith uh, and how they all come together. Julie's a registered psychologist, an endorsed community and counselling psychologist. Uh, she's an approved supervisor with APRA, the Australian Health Practitioners Registration Association, and has been a member of the Australian Psychological Society for well over 20 years. In her work life, Julie's worked for groups such as the Victorian Equal Opportunity Commission, the International Red Cross. She's been an adjunct lecturer in psychology and community development at Victoria University here in Melbourne. And she's been a counselling coordinator at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. She's also had her own private practice as a counselling psychologist and a supervisor of provisional psychologists. So without any further ado, let's have a chat with Dr. Julie Morsillo. Ultimate Youth Worker! Development for the future. Hi, Julie. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks for coming on today. Really excited to, to have you on uh, the podcast. And we're... We've got a really interesting topic to talk about, but uh, first, I'd love to hear a bit more about you. I mean, we've been working together now for, for a little while here at Easton, but uh, uh, tell, tell us all about Julie Morsillo. <laughs> don't think you want to know all, but happy to tell you a bit more about myself, yes, yes. So um, this is my first year full-time at Easton, yep. but they gradually hauled me in by first being a guest and then, you know, part-time and then go casual, then part-time and now full-time, um, coordinating the counselling program. And I really love it. I enjoy it. The colleagues are great. The students are great. I like it that it's small classes. Great. And, and so uh, explain to us all what the counselling program looks like at, at Easton. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, the counselling program is this, the undergrad students who are doing their BA and they choose often to do a counselling stream that is their major or some people just do a couple of subjects. They go, oh, I think that could be really useful to me, introduction to counselling or whatever. And then that becomes part of their BA. Yes. And then we've got some students that have done their BA in something else, but they've got lots of um, counselling experience and they want to do a postgrad in counselling. And then I've started, just last year, a new Master of Community Counselling. So it's looking at counselling, but all also within a community perspective. And we also talk about community building, which kind of fits well with youth work too, because yeah. that's often about building community and building the youth. And so um, some of my students are right into that too. So it's good. Yeah, great. And, and I think uh, anyone who's uh, done any study in, in the human services field knows that we need to know a bit about community development. We need to know a bit about counselling. And, and for us as youth workers, uh, community 
community development and counselling uh, are both two very uh, important areas that, that we need to have some understanding of. So uh, yeah. fits right in with where, where we're at. And uh, yes. I know as colleagues, it's great to be able to hash ideas yes. together because uh, we're, we're on the same page. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so tell us, <coughs> excuse me, tell us a bit more about uh, your background and how you got to end up being a, a, a doctor and a lecturer at Easton? Oh, okay. Well, um, first I started out, I oh, didn't enjoy school, went to Bible college, thought, no, this is something I could get enthusiastic about. So I did Bible college, enjoyed that. Then went on and had children, did foster care, cottage parenting, and thought, if I keep doing this 24-7, I think I might go a bit crazy. Mm. So I started studying so I could work with people, but more intentionally and more... um, uh, and knowing what I'm doing, yeah. So I, so I, I did. Um, I majored in psychology at the local institute that became after a while Victoria University. Yes. Where I was caring for kids at the same time as I was doing my BA um, while they're at school. <laughs> so that was good. Um, and then I, I, I enjoyed that. Yes. Um, and then went on to do more work for Equal Opportunity and things like that, which was really interesting and got to know more about um, working with people. And then I did a postgrad in Adolescent and Child Psych at Melbourne Uni, boring. So then I changed <laughs> to community development, gave up on psych. Yes. And did an RMIT International Development. Yes. And loved it. Yes. And then I thought, now what am I going to do? And I got invited back to Victoria University where I did my undergrad. And they said, Julie, why don't you do your PhD in community psychology that marries your two interests with psychology and community development? And I thought, that sounds an idea. And then there was this project they were talking about with young people building their identity. And I thought, that sounds like me. And they talked about the word social justice. Yes. And we hadn't been allowed to use that word in in the state government that I've been mm. working at. I thought, wow, I can use the word social justice. This is exciting. So it was great. Yeah. Fantastic. And um, I think all of us as youth workers, uh, social justice being a, a key part to our, our philosophy, our framework of practice, uh, we, we resonate with that, that sense mm. that uh, uh, social justice, how can we, how can we get more of that for our, for our clientele? Yeah. yeah. And then I thought in order to do that, I think you really need to build people's identity. Mm. And so we're talking about doing some social justice action things with young people. And then I thought, well, why don't we ask the young people themselves what they want to do? Uh, That's a novel idea. Yeah, yeah, funny about that. And let's find the ones who are most in need. Like, what's the point of talking to ones that are, you know, in rich families and going quite well? Let's talk to ones that that have had struggles in life, that haven't had it easy. Those have been what we used to call disadvantaged. Mm -hmm. And now, um, and so I worked with, um, firstly, I worked with a group of, um, I worked with good Shepherd Youth and Family Services, a partner agency, and some gorgeous youth workers there were working with a group of young people who were questioning their sexuality. So it was a gay group of um, young people who came together to support each other because a few of them were quite suicidal. 
And so the youth worker invited me to attend. I thought, oh, what am I going to do with them? Anyway, we chatted and it turns out they really wanted to help people understand their issues. And then we found out there was teachers who were having a a big conference, a forum, looking at how they deal with different sexuality issues, young people. And so we got, the, the youth worker and I got these young people to present to the teachers. Fantastic. From their point of view, what they were going through and what life was like if you were questioning your sexuality and and had it a bit different than the straight people. And and they thought it was wonderful. And they were supposed to do set little things, hot seat things and little activities. And while they were at the conference, they heard other young people speaking, telling their stories. They said, we're going to get up and tell our stories. I said, that wasn't planned. We don't care. We're going to do it. Okay, go for it. So they did. And it was great. The teachers just really learned a lot from it I think and so that was great then I worked with a group of um, kids from a local high school in a depressed area um, around St Albans Keelor Way and I said what what do you want to do and so we divided into small groups and uh, the hardest one was um, one group wanted to have a dance party but with no drugs, you know, like a freezer type event. <laughs> a blue light disco. Yes, yes. And so um, fortunately we were able to get involved. I can't remember how we did it. The local policeman and the local um, guy who where we were going to have the venue, um, it was a hotel but they were going to not sell alcohol that night yeah. for the young people. They shut it off for everyone else for one night. And it actually worked. <laughs> All the young people behaved, but they gave them strict talking to us beforehand. Yeah. But they planned it, they did it, and it was really, really good event. A great youth participation yes. right there. Yes, that was really good. And then another group of young boys, a quieter group of young boys, that was the kind of, you know, the cool kids yeah. did that. And then another, another group, um, some, a couple of them were Asian and, a, and an Aussie guy. They said, we want to do something, because I'd mentioned... Um, Indigenous issues and working stuff, and they decided they and working in the local park. They decided they wanted to do something to develop something in the local park. Um, so I took them to the local Brimbank Park and got talking to the curry worker, and he said they could develop a curry garden. Um, and so they started to make the plans for it. And it was great. He showed them around and top, helped them understand some um, Indigenous cultural issues. And so it was a fantastic experience. Um, so, yeah, we did lots of interesting things. And then I worked with a third and final group, recently arrived refugees in the Horn of Africa, who were struggling to uh, feel part of this culture. They said, you you guys are mad. They said, in well, they didn't quite say that. Um, they said, <laughs> I'm sure in, they used a few other words to explain yeah, yeah. it as well. And they go, in Africa, we always visit each other every night and everywhere they go, they give you food. And every time you go on public transport, that's a chance to make a new friend. Um, and they said, here, no one talks, no one does anything. So they... Um, they were doing this bridging program to help them with their English and at the same time I did some things with them to help them appreciate their own culture and what they bought and the teachers and I worked with them for them to choose their favourite song, their favourite music. I brought in one of my students because I was teaching at Victoria University by this time, Community Development and Psychology. 
I brought in one of the students who was also from Africa, Horn of Africa, to dance with them, and she is a lovely Christian woman. And so um, we and we took them on a camp. I got some funding to go on a camp, and um, and we really helped them feel good about their culture. But then, how what could they do in this culture? So we organised a celebration that they'd done this course where they celebrated with their own music and dancing, Fantastic. but they celebrated they were now part of Aussie culture. And we talked about the good things of Aussie culture, you know, more freedom, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So we had a fantastic time. And I wrote it up and I called it Social Action with Youth. I think at the last minute I changed it to by youth. Yeah. Social Action by Youth, creating a sense of community. Fantastic. So it was building on their interest, on their identity, and then how they could connect with their local community. Yeah. And I had a ball. Sounds like it. Uh, there's three very interesting and diverse programs with uh, different groups of young people with a uh, multitude of different takes on the world and different issues and uh, and how they can uh, advocate for, for themselves. Yeah. And my son was a bit worried because he said, Mum, you're getting a bit old. What are you doing working with young people? And so I was working with the youth workers, with these young people, and I looked yeah. around at the youth workers and I go... Gee, the youth workers are slightly younger than my children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think if you keep your youthful attitude, you get away with it. Yeah, for sure. So I, I don't think there is a, an age limit on the best youth workers. I think uh, we need uh, all age brackets in that space. And, and it's an attitude, I think. Definitely. It, are you willing to still be open and listen? Yes. Like there's some people that I know that are in my age group that wouldn't have a clue of how to relate to gay young people. But um, if you just see them as as other any like any other young person, and they they too had their struggles, and how can you connect? Um, and I worked out a couple of ways to connect, and they go, "Yep, you're in. We'll talk to you." <laughs> yeah. And one young person that um, struggled a bit, uh, she was an indigenous woman who. Um, I think she was bi, but yet she was questioning her sexuality. And she was really struggling because she already struggled as a homeless Indigenous woman. Took her on a camp and she didn't want to be photographed because she was a, you know, a bit weighty. She was a bit conscious of her weight. And so I let her hold the camera, the video camera at those yeah, days. She had a yeah. video camera. This is 10 years ago. And she, um, and she so was so proud that I allowed her to hold something that was quite expensive and for her to fear film the others. In the end, she begged to be filmed as well. And when I did a cut of what I'd taken them and gave them a short version, she wanted the longer version to have every single bit. <laughs> so it's interesting how if you get alongside young people and gain their trust first and help them build their identity, then they trust you yeah. and then you can do something together. And, and such core tenants to, to youth work practice, be relational, uh, build the young people up, empower them to, to take some control of their, their own lives and their own spaces. So, yes. Uh, fantastic. Yes. So it's probably a good space to start talking a little bit about identity then mm -hmm. and what were some of the, the things that you found out about identity 
through your research and through your time working with these young people and yeah well i in my research i really honed in on to on the concept that we talk about as community psychologists that sense of community which i'm sure a lot of just workers do too but um so that sense of community and how do you build up that sense of community and it's about building up the identity of the person so they feel good about themselves and then help them to feel like they're a member of a group and how can they connect to that group and have our uh, meaning to their lives um, and that 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 an acceptance from the others um, and sometimes it's a matter of um, helping the person feel better about themselves before they can connect to others um, and there's so many ways that we can help young people do that and feel supported because often they just feel so alone um, it's so hard and I kind of relate to it myself because I was a very lonely child. I know it's hard to believe, but I was <laughs> extremely shy. I started so badly, no one could understand me. Um, and you couldn't get boo out of me. And now you make a living out of talking. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You can't shut me up. So, um, so yeah, it's about... So, I guess, and because I moved around a lot as a child, I already was shy and I became shyer and shyer. And so I feel for young people that struggle and to find their place in the world, which is why I did foster care and cottage parenting. And then thought... Um, I wanted to work with them as groups and then I decided to get into counselling as well so you could really understand people in depth and yeah. then that helps you again with the group work kind of, yes. Yeah, yeah. so. Fantastic. Let, let's um, talk a little bit about this idea that you brought up about um, building community, being part of community. Um, I, th I think uh, many of us uh, in youth work would resonate with that idea that mm. uh, it, the old old adage that it takes a village to raise a child, that we need need uh, many people around there. I think of um, the, the cultural anthropologists that say you need five, six, seven people uh, that you can trust and are supported yes. in yes. your life. Um, what are some of the key concepts for, for you around the, the need to build that community, that help to build community? Yeah, I guess um, one of it that I use as I'm also a narrative therapist, which I fit, think fits in well with Christian principles, is to help people um, to work through their story of loss and sadness and despair or loneliness or whatever their story is, um, loss of their dreams, loss of people they care about or loss of feeling trust with relationships or whatever. And we all have times like that. That is not just young people and it's not just those that suffer a lot it's all of us we all have times yeah. um, when we feel a little bit broken and a bit sad and lonely or we've lost what we wanted unmet expectations or severe losses or severe traumas and I guess um, uh, one of the things that I approach that I, I take in, in my work and I encourage others to is to work out ways to help people to be heard with their story of sadness and loss and to really listen and show great empathy when people start to tell you those stories without interrupting, without saying, well, I can tell you what to do. Just build a bridge and get over it. You'll be fine, <laughs> which is pro which can be fine for a little problem. Yeah. Sometimes people need that bit of a kick, you know. Yeah. But if it's a big problem, that probably won't help. Yeah. Um, then, but while you're listening to that story of despair, you're listening for the alternate story of hope. 
So you listen to that story, that story of sadness, and you listen for any signs of hope that you can build on. Or you ask questions to think of what you can do to build on that hope. And there's lots of different strategies for that. I mean, the simplest one is just ask and asking things like, well, what supports do you have? You know, if these people have let you down, who have you got? Or who was in your life that was good and you might want to reconnect with so you help them build trusting relationships? Um, that, that sort of thing. And then what sort of things can we do to build on your identity in a positive way? So people, when things go wrong, they, they think, oh, I'm just a depressed person. That's my whole identity, depression. Or, oh, I'm just anxious. I'm an anxious person. That's my whole identity. Or I'm questioning my sexuality. My whole identity is sexuality. Or I overeat or I undereat or I, you know, whatever. We become our problem. We become our problem. And one of the things we talk about in a narrative approach, which is common to other approaches too, is the the person's not the problem. The problem is the problem. So we try and separate the person from the problem and say, well, how do you relate to that problem? Or that problem is only one small part of you. You're this big, wonderful, amazing person that's precious and valuable in lots of ways, but you have this problem to deal with. Um, And around you, you have all these supports if you open your eyes to see them but not necessarily the supports you expect. People go, well, my parents don't support me. Well, yeah, parents often do stuff up. They try their best, but they often stuff up. Um, Maybe it's about thinking what other supports you have or thinking what your parents are really trying to do. What's the underlying values? Not what they say, oh, why are you putting on weight? It's not about, they might not do it well, but they're probably trying to say, I'm really concerned for your health. So you try and work with that. You find out what are the underlying values that you have. And we have lots of other exercises, lots of other strategies we use to build up identity too. So it's listening to the sad story and then developing the story of hope. Um, We do lots of interesting things like say with... um, Young men that don't want to talk, you can tell they're sad, they look miserable, they're acting out, they are angry, but they don't want to talk about it because I'm a man and men don't cry and men don't talk about it. Mm. So one of the strategies in counselling we sometimes use in narrative practice is team of life. Yeah. So we say, well, boys, what do they want to talk about? They definitely don't want to talk about their emotions. What do they want to talk about? Maybe it's sport. So this concept of team of life was first developed with Sudanese young people recently right from Sudan who were obviously very distressed, a lot of family members killed or whatever, but they didn't want to talk about it, typical male thing, well, yes. reasonably typical. Although some males that have, you know can yeah. talk, but some struggle. Historically typical. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And often their dads haven't talked to them. It's often just a family thing. Or in this case, there's a language issue as well. But then the youth workers and the counsellors look, watch these boys, and they notice, the community workers, that they were chatting away amongst themselves. So they listened, and they could talk about soccer all day long. <laughs> so they thought, well, how can we go? How can we use that soccer interest in soccer to help them build up their identity? Well, we can play soccer with them, do more soccer with them, do the things they enjoy. That's an obvious first thing. Yes. Then use it as a metaphor. So then they'd say to the book guys, okay, can you draw for us the soccer 
thing, you know, whip, whip, who goes where, where's the goalie, where's this and where's that, where's the coach go, where does it, who's the, who's your wingman, who's the one that supports you, who's the goalie, who's the one, and let's talk about those people. So they build up their strengths and build on their, what supports they do have and how they can use them better. Yeah, great. So who, who's your coach? Oh, why? What, what do they do well? Um, and do you support anyone else on the team? So they realise, oh, they have got some strengths. They can do things. Yeah. They can look after others. And so they develop this thing. And sometimes they do it with and take ages doing it with these young people. And then in the end, they bring in a soccer ball and everyone signs it and they have a little ceremony and, oh, you know, you can do all sorts of things. But I just like that concept for young guys. Yeah. Um, the team of life. Um, I personally haven't done it, but I know um, lots of young uh, youth workers and counsellors who do. Yeah. Fits, fits very well with the, the anthropological idea of uh, needing many people to provide us support and, yes. and to help us to, to grow and develop and, and think yes. through uh, in, in, a, in a modern day context of exactly. uh, sport, yes. uh, which uh, many young people can relate to. Exactly. Yeah. And, but that grew out of a, an earlier one that they did with orphans. Um, uh, counselors and youth workers and community workers got together to help orphans, firstly in South um, Africa, whose parents were dying or died of AIDS way back a while ago, and then um, in uh, Rwanda when there was a genocide. So what they did, they called it Tree of Life. So they said, let's all draw, they get this, the, the kids to draw a tree and think about the roots, and the roots is your cultural background, your heritage, things that your grandparents have done for you, um, or things that your culture has taught you, like how to be hospitable and, you know, you always eat together and visit each other or whatever it is. Um, or find joy in your church community or, or um, at your grandparents' house on a holiday, you know, whatever that sort of yeah. stuff. Or, um, uh, or family ri- ri- rituals. They might have stuffed up a lot of the time, but at least we always had our barbecues or we always had our Sunday lunch or whatever. Yeah. So you think about that. And, and so it's trying to grow the positive aspects of your life. And then the trunk, what are your skills, things that you love to do? Do you love to do cooking, sport, art, music? whatever and then the, the, the branches and the leaves and the fruit you know like who, who's, who supports you and what sort of things have they done for you what are your values what's precious to you and then what what do you give to others and all that sort of stuff really, really beautiful model yeah yeah and that worked really well with children then they said it worked really well with women and homeless people and um yeah, and then they also developed out of that kite of life for different cultures because a lot of cultures, kites are something very beautiful and festive and they fly high like a bird and people relate to that well. And then you write on the kite, what are your hopes and dreams for the future and what are your values that are common? And they're finding when there's intergenerational conflict, which we often find with young people, with adults and grandparents, those parents say, no, no, nothing, they're hopeless. And the parents are saying, those young people are too wild and crazy. In my day, that Yes, yes, this is what we did. Oh, they're too traditional. Oh, they're, they're, you know, too... So they brought them together and then said, well, let's talk about what are your common hopes and dreams? What are your common cultural values? What is it that are the common things? Oh, yeah, we do all care about 
the family or we do all care about the festival. We do all love the same festivals or whatever. Yeah. And that worked well too. Yeah. You've said a couple of times about that, that idea of connection and how, mm. how important that is uh, for for people in general, but young people to, to find meaningful connection in, uh, in their people, the, the places, uh, the, the activities that they're involved in. Uh, and I think that's a really, really key point for, for us as youth workers that it, it really is about connection. And, uh, th- there's been a lot of research done over the, the last a uh, number of years, as you would know, around the idea of social cohesion, social capital, uh, yes. uh, all based on the idea that we need connections. Yes. Uh, and yes. Uh, uh, can you can you talk a little bit more about um, may, maybe for for us as youth workers, what are some key things that we need to think about when we're helping young people to develop those connections? Yeah. Well, youth. Work, there's been a lot of research done at um, Melbourne Uni from the Youth Research Centre that talks about. Ma- finding meaningful connections and meaningful projects for young people. Um, and so and so they feel part of the decision-making process too in things. So if you're doing things with young people rather than coming and saying, well, I think we should do this and this, instead of asking, hello, yeah. <laughs> what would you like to do? That's not important <laughs> though, is it, to ask young people? Um, because if, yeah, because that, that, that's... Um, you know, in school they're told what they have to do all the time. The family are telling them what they have to do. Hey, let's ask them for a change. Yeah. Um, so a lot of research has shown, yes, and of course you know from experience, so that meaningful connections and finding purpose in life. Mm. So it's connecting. Um, indigenous psychologists call it social and emotional well-being, mm. that we're helping people to socially connect and make those emotional trusting connections for a sense of well-being. Uh, so we feel good about ourselves and feel good about our community around us. So that's another way of looking at it. Another beautiful piece of research I read recently, um, and you can watch the TED Talk if you like, from Emily Estefel or something, Smith, but Emily Smith, and she did a PhD, lovely um, young Indian woman, um, on she what makes people happy, how, how do you have happiness in your life? Because yeah. she said her and all her cohort... Of, of young people, young adults, were looking for happiness and they thought they would find it in having plenty of parties and drink or whatever and finding a good job, but there still seemed to be something missing. So she researched and researched and found actually there was um, four things that people needed and it was really all about meaning. Yeah. They needed to have purpose in life, need to find meaning in life, which is quite similar. Um, and then they needed to find their transforming moments, transformational moments. Now, we talk about transforming communities, but in this one she was talking about moments where you feel transformed from the everyday life. Yeah. So for some people it's going up that mountain, being in nature, going for a bush walk or just going for a walk in the park. I need to go for a walk in the park every day mm-hmm. to feel connection and to feel just being part of God's creation rather yeah. than stuck inside all the time. Yeah, I, I need to go bush every so often yes. as well. So Yes, but, and have that bush thing yeah. and that's very much a lot of cultures, yeah. and, you know, connecting like Indigenous cultures, connecting with country and kin, yeah. with the land as well as people. But also she talked about you need your transformational moments. They can also be found in church. 
and church is a great way to find your transforming um transformational moments where you lift it above the everyday and reminded of the bigger story of um a Jesus redemptive story for us that you know we are we are we are called to be his disciples he loved us Mm -hmm. and brought healing now we are called to give healing to others and to show compassion to others so there's that mega story but then she talked about we each need to find our redemptive story and by this time, I thought this woman's definitely a Christian, but actually she wasn't. She comes yeah. from a different faith, but it was still a faith that her parents gave her that said you need to reach out to others. Yeah. So it was a different pathway, but very similar values. Yeah. And she talks about how that we need our redemptive story. So instead of being stuck in our sad story, oh, everything's gone wrong, I never do well, or um, or I've now, she gives an example of this guy became a paraplegic and he'd been a sportsman, so he thought, well, I've got nothing. You know, I used to be able to party and do everything and sport, now I've got nothing. But then he re-examined his life and realised actually his life was fairly empty before. Mm. Now he's really found proper purpose in life and settle down and can give to others properly and he can still coach or whatever you know whatever it was um so it's finding your own redemptive story your own story of hope through the story of despair and that sad story it's not pretending it's not there but it's fine and jesus has given us the ultimate redemptive story that he will give us hope um and he loves us no matter what so that we can reach out to love others um so i thought it was just yeah a lovely another lovely way of talking about it finding your redemptive story yeah Yeah. it's it's a really good uh kind of picture of um our identity not being in what we do but in who we are. Yes. Uh, and I think uh, all, all too often the, the young people that we uh, work with as youth workers find their identity in in other things, the people they hang around with, the what they've been told about themselves, uh, the, the things that they do, sports or music or, or whatever it might mm. be. And uh, for us to help them to recognise their identity as the person who they are, not as uh, what they do, is is a really key mm. principle there. Mm. Just want to touch on that that word meaning that you you uh, uh, have said a few times uh, in our time together, and and helping people to find meaning and purpose in their life. I. I, I think many of us in youth work would recognize that uh that uh that's a key part to our role helping helping people to make meaning of what's going on in their mm. in their life um it, to finish off with have you got any tips for us in how we might go about uh helping our young people to recognize meaning yeah i think i think there's a couple of things one is to help them um, if they have a faith that that can be really helpful because it provides a, a, an obvious meaning because you you know you're part of the christian community and try, trying to live as christians a christ-like life and following jesus example and that can provide real meaning because you you then know what your value system is and you're very sure about it to then have a basis to reach out to others and show that compassion to others because you've accepted the compassion of jesus so you've got something to build upon and that provides real meaning but also we can help people develop their their own skill set so they feel good about themselves and find meaning in what they do as they're reaching out to others but using their particular gifts because we're all unique 
And I think sometimes as young people, I know when I was a young person, I thought, oh, I can't be like this person, I can't be like that. And what I was doing, I was checking one thing from one person, one from the other, putting it together in a perfect person and saying I wasn't that. (laughs) No one can be perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. Um, So rather than do that, of course you use people as role models if they're good people, but realise that we're each unique and we'll have some things the same as them and some different. And we can use those skills and build on them as time goes on so sometimes I've done things and I've thought oh I don't feel real comfortable in this but I'm sure I'm learning something and you do and then as you get older you realize the rich mosaic of life and how each thing you've learned you've built on to learn something else to then give more Um, and and sometimes it's about helping people find a meaningful project for the next part of their journey. Life is a journey mm-hmm. and we're constantly building our identity and sometimes we get a surprise with the way that the journey goes yeah. and the fork that the path takes. But so long as we're always going forward in some way, of course we'll go down sometimes when things go really wrong or we have terrible sadness and loss, but hopefully we'll still work out ways to keep going forward and support each other in that journey. Yeah. It's not a... Ultimately, we're alone in one sense, but in another sense, uh, because we have to live with our own thoughts all the time. But hopefully we can, if we've got a community around us that's strong and supportive, that helps us in that journey to not feel totally alone. And we've got Jesus as an example to follow so that that gives us that meaning and that purpose. Yeah. There's uh, been a fair bit of work done recently uh, in uh, youth work around Australia uh, looking at uh, the ideas of... of, um, spirituality and faith and and mm. the like and um uh, just i'm aware that uh that there will be many youth workers who are working with um young people that uh, come from different faith backgrounds uh uh buddhists muslims uh mm. people of no faith uh, mm. as well uh but uh it's an area that as youth workers we um we know is an intrinsic part to people's lives faith uh, of some mm. description uh but we we have been slow on the uptake of of bringing that into our psychosocial uh assessments and and the like uh so that finding meaning, finding uh, something bigger than we are is, is often a really big uh, part to, mm. to, to that journey. And we find with more recent arrivals, I've worked a lot with asylum seekers as well since my research as a counselling coordinator at the Asylum Seeker Resource Centre. And so many people that come to this country, faith is a huge issue for them. Yeah. It's a huge part of their life. They're all from all, all different religions. But interestingly, they're often, draw, uh, they're often drawn to Christians because they sense that basic faith and they appreciate that the church often will provide them a sacred space yes they don't care what religion in one sense yeah they just can sense that it's spiritual people and sometimes they convert sometimes they don't but they find acceptance and hospitality because often the churches will give them lunch on sundays or whatever um and that's part of their community too that hospitality and it's so lovely to see and uh yeah and that sense of faith whereas a lot of aussies they've only got faith in their sport yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) in whatever football team they follow yes that's right whereas these people have a deep sense of faith and you can work with that doesn't matter what religion they are a faith is a faith is a faith and spirituality and even people that are big on sports sometimes you'll find some aspect of spirituality if you have a broad 
definition of the term. Yes. If they really care for their families and love and adore their kids, you can use that to build on too. Yeah. Um, because all people adore their brothers and sisters or their parents or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's something very precious. And you can say, see, you do understand compassion. Yeah. And let's work with that. And that that's a beautiful thing. And one day they come to a full faith and sometimes they don't. But you're still helping the right way on the journey and you find a connection. Yeah. Um, I've... Yeah, so that uh, we hope that eventually people learn to reach out to the stranger as well. Yes. But you can start with the family or start with their closest friends or whatever they've got yeah. um, to make those connections and a sense of meaning and a sense of community to then hopefully be prepared to broaden that yeah. and reach out. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you for spending some time oh, with you. us uh, today, Julie. And um, uh, if you want to find out more about Julie, uh, come and uh, check us out at Eastern College Australia uh, here in Melbourne. Uh, uh, guys, if you are thinking about uh, what's the next step in, in my youth work career, I would very much recommend counselling as, as one of those next steps. Uh, Julie's mentioned narrative therapy. That's a, an area that I've always been interested in and counselling skills are one of those uh, areas that we can uh, never have enough of. So thank you once again, Julie, for, for yeah. your time and And guys, we'll see you next week. Join us next time for another edition of the Ultimate Youth Worker Podcast.